Hi, uh, welcome to Judge Movie, the movie podcast where we judge crimes against cinema. I am Alicia Izumi, your regular cinema attorney. Um, today we are going to try and settle this matter, this episode, out of court without the judge, because the judge is abroad in Rotterdam at Rotterdam Film Festival. Um, so we're going to try and do this without him. Uh, I'm pretty confident that we can we can reach some kind of settlement. Today with me, instead of the judge, I've got filmmaker and film critic Kit Ramsey. How you doing? Pretty good, yeah. I think we can definitely settle this uh, matter amicably and uh, with poise. Yeah. You don't always need to get... get. We don't need to take this to court. <laughs> yeah. My client is very eager to settle this out of court. Yeah. Um, today we're going to be talking about Overnight Film Festival, which uh, takes place um, in Eastbourne at the Queen's Hotel. And it's kind of like a like a film fan's retreat. Um you all stay in this hotel and all the film screenings take place in the hotel and there's all kind of kind of screenings activities and film themed things going on so we're going to be going over going over the festival let you know how it was yeah so what exactly is the format then we're going to just discuss some of the salient points about the festival as well as then come to certain i guess ideas on some of the things that they put forward as activities and the way in which it was ran Yeah, yeah. So I've got a couple of exhibits for the case of Overnight Film Festival. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about the location um, and how that sort of played into how that that, that suited the festival. What kind of character did it give it? Um, The Overnight Film Festival also made a point um, of screening, of projecting some of their films in 35mm, 16mm, and of course some things were projected digitally. So I want to talk about the pros and cons of that. And then, obviously, we'll get right down to the nitty-gritty of the, the films that were screened there, the programme. Um, yeah. So, just to give you a brief overview, we had um, River of Grass, Kenny Reichardt's first film. We had Still Walking, um, one of Corriere's films, who recently did Shoplifters, that was very, very popular this year. On the Palm Door at Cannes. That's right. Um, we had Orlando, with Sally Potter and Tilda Swinton as Orlando. Um, we had a variety of shorts as well, and um, we had some really interesting things there. Um, I feel like that... we should probably throw out still, uh, not still, Alice, Alice in the Cities. Alice in the Cities is also there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just a taster of the program that was on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, where should we start then? Uh, well, yeah, I want to start with Exhibit A, the location. Yeah. So, um... Who needs Rotterdam when you have Eastbourne? That's is it on sea? Is it Eastbourne on sea or is it just Eastbourne? It's just Eastbourne. Oh, well, it is on the sea. Yes, Eastbourne is um, down in the southeast of England. It's a very small seaside town. Um, they've got a pier and they've got the Queen's Hotel. Um, so this is the third festival, uh, the third and final edition of the festival. And it's always taken place at the same hotel in Eastbourne. Um, now, what did you make of Eastbourne? How did it inform your experience of the festival? Um, it had, like, an interesting vibe and aesthetic. It had a kind of... So it looks a lot like Brighton, I'd say. Mm-hmm. It's got the huge kind of uh, seawalk promenades, etc. Big old pier. Some of the similar kind of large seafront... Um, I, I want to say houses, but that's not quite the right word, is it? It's like apartment complexes of which the hotel kind of fitted in right quite nicely. Yeah, it did have this kind of Georgian uh, Georgian feel to it, the, mm. the sort of terrace houses we've got along there. But I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, people of Eastbourne, but I feel like there was something of like an off-season kind of quality to it. It felt very quiet and deserted, which I quite liked. It had like a kind of haunted 
beachside uh, town vibe to it, which I thought was pretty cool. And uh, definitely lended even more of a kind of overlook hotel quality to the uh, Queen's Hotel. Yes, there were worked. there were references to The Shining throughout the festival. Um, because it did have this, yeah, we were, I think we were the only guests at that hotel. Um, Not just us two, there were others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, the festival kind of took over the hotel, mm. and it kind of felt like it took over the town. Hopefully not in a horrible way, but in a, like, a special way. It felt like a home away from home. It felt like, you know, you were there just for the festival, and that was kind of brought everyone together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, nice, uh, nice place, Eastbourne. Nice hotel as well. It was great, yeah. I, I, I want to say isolated, but that sounds bad. It's haunted. That's what I was getting at. It has a haunted aspect to it. But yeah, I think the isolation worked for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, de- de- as you definitely put it well as a, a kind of retreat. Felt like a holiday to me. It did feel like a holiday. Yeah. Isolated, but not in a bad way. Yeah. In a, in more like a kind of comfy ski chalet mm. in the uh, Alps. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds very nice. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, there was a kind of weird quality to the fact that everybody I saw on the streets was somebody from the festival as well. We truly did take over that small quadrant of the town. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... So, yeah, as we said... Sorry, I remembered where my train of thought was going. Like, so, with the architecture and the, the hotel, it did have this sense of history to it. So, this was a film festival. It was a repertory programme. So, it was kind of about looking back and historical films and historical formats. Yeah. Um... So yeah, that kind of sense of history resonated throughout the whole experience, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. Exhibit B. Um, sort of talk about the media projection debate. Um, we we talked a little bit about this in our Cinema Rediscovered episode, because that was a, another festival that kind of focused on repertory programming and restorations and film print screenings, 35mm, 16mm. Um, and this festival has has a tradition of of showing films in that way too. Yeah, and the uh, the the one of the I, sup- I I assume the philosophy that all of the curators had, but particularly the guy who was sort of running the show, he really leaned in in the whole quality of projection, kind of trumping a lot of other modes in which to watch films, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because that was obviously a part of the festival identity that wasn't really um, represented in the marketing, I don't think. I don't remember them ever particularly saying much about the uh, the sort of nature of how projection seems to be an important part of why they put the festival on, mm-hmm. which isn't, I'm not I'm not saying is a bad thing or anything, but um, it's interesting how they definitely seem to hold that to heart quite quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there was something that you could feel they're really passionate about. So we had um, still Walking, the Coriator film from 2008, was projected in 35mm. Mm-hmm. Orlando was projected in 35mm. Um, we... Still, um, I keep trying to say Still Alice. It's not, what is Still Alice? Just so we still, get that out of the way. Still Alice is the Julianne Moore film where <laughs> she's suffering from Alzheimer's, I believe. Um, and it's kind of early onset because she's in her 40s or 50s. This sounds, this, uh, this explains a lot about why I keep trying to say Still Alice then. <laughs> Speaking of projecting, <laughs> um, so Alice in the <laughs> Cities was projected in thirty-five millimeter. Uh, Jane Campion's um, short film, A Girl's Own Story, was projected in sixteen millimeter, um, and we had some other films where um, they were shot 
and say to five millimeter. Sure. Um, yes. In fact, to my understanding, there was only one or two actually digitally shot films throughout the festival. Just a few, yeah. yeah. Um, and so in the big grand ballroom of the Queen's Hotel, we had the projector behind us. It was quite noisy. Um, some of the, the, you know, they weren't perfect, these prints. They had a little bit of a life story to them. Oh, you could tell. Yeah. You could tell. Um, and the projector was, was really, really loud. And I got to say, before this festival, I was a little bit of a agnostic when it came to watching things on, on 35mm. I kind of thought, if there's a version of the film where it, it's pristine... I want to see the best version of the film that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't feel that way. No. Um, One of the um, uh, guys who I was talking to afterwards, and actually I think there was even a point that was made prior to the first of our um, 35mm films, which I believe was Orlando? Or, or was it uh, River of Grass? Uh, no, it was Orlando was the film. Yeah. So they mentioned the whole nature of how it's and it is an interesting one especially when you consider the fact that dcps are definitely the main mode in which they project films these days in a mainstream setting but she was talking about the idea of film being a physical object itself in which part of the art of the film uh, is in sort of understanding that it has a life of its own it has markings it's been treated either well or very poorly and sort of seeing that literally unfold in front of you on screen definitely adds a kind of new development dimension to watching and enjoying a film I find yes so you're like looking at the canvas of a painting in a much more personal sense which I feel can sometimes be lost when for instance watching it VOD style or something like that yeah don't hold me to that though I'm a big proponent of the VOD lifestyle (laughs) yes I think I think maybe sometimes I was approaching it in the wrong way. When I was, if I was watching an old print and it maybe the quality wasn't great before this festival, I was thinking, you know, I would be thinking, oh, maybe that would be better in a different way. But if I'm approaching it as if it is a museum piece and it's an artifact in itself, that did make it feel more special. Absolutely. Although I feel like one can go too far and fetishize it to to the nth degree, which I don't 100% agree with because I feel like a film can transcend its physical format. Yes, I think, as I was saying before, the location had this sense of history and the films had this sense of history. And I was trying to... Yeah, experiencing the films as a physical sense of history itself was quite special. And, yeah, I think I get it now. I think I'm a a convert now. Mm Mm-hmm. It definitely adds to the kind of ritualistic elements uh, or nature of watching a film sometimes, which is, yeah, uh, uh, um, a part of some people's film-watching identity, one that I find myself not really buying into so much, but mm-hmm. I do understand, I do get the fetishization of physical media in that sense a little bit more when that kind of, uh, when that was explained to me. Yes. So I think when they... Um, screen the film prints they transport them in smaller reels and then when they project it they tape up the smaller reels to then have it stream in one continuous flow and they cut them back off again send the reels to another location screen it again and I think sometimes that means you end up with a process where the film can be cut quite a bit they end up splicing the same bits and there was one particular scene in Orlando where Tilda Swinton was jumping all over up and down this this like walkway because it clearly that was a scene that had been cut up quite a bit. 
Ah, um, uh, yeah, okay, I remember what you're talking about now. I was wondering if that was a stylistic part of the film, or whether it was just, like, a common place that people decided this can be the end of a reel. Yeah, and I think everyone kind of laughed a little bit because we could see what was happening. Um, you didn't really miss too much information because she was just sort of walking, mm-hmm. um, just walking up across the screen, so you didn't miss too much. Um I mean, how do you feel about that? Did that take you out of the movie? No, not at all. As I said, I thought that actually could have just been a formal element of the film. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, no. Actually, it's funny that you talk about that. So I will admit, I didn't notice those uh, cuts during... Or or rather, sorry, I did notice them, obviously, but I didn't think of it as being an example of how the uh, physical film itself is being treated. However, there were parts where, unfortunately, I can't give examples now, but it was during some of the 35mm screenings, I would just notice that the scene itself would be a kind of, it would, be, it would look slightly more worn out. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, is this just a very popular scene that has been played through over and over again, or touched, or otherwise, you know, rewound through, as it were? And I was just sort of like looking at it and I, yeah, I can't remember when, but it would just, it would come up and there would be like a scene that I'd noticed maybe it's a little funnier than some of the others or, uh, or it's, it's holding some kind of like emotional resonance and it would be a little rougher than the rest of the film. And I, I will admit, I don't know much about the projection process, but I was wondering if there is possibly in any way, some way that that has just been exposed to slightly more physical manipulation because it's a scene that someone may want to rewatch time and time again. That's really cool. I didn't notice that, but that's interesting. Yeah. I think that you're right. It does add a kind of dimension to the film. Um, I think, yeah, for me, the key was just reorienting myself that little bit to approach it as as a, as an artifact in itself that's, that holds some meaning yeah. outside, like the film text or something. Sure. It must be weird for projectionists since they're kind of out of cinemas and commercial cinema spaces that they're now like their jobs changed into like a from a customer service to a museum they're, slash education like a boutique service. thing now. Yeah. Yeah, that must suck hard for them. Yeah, it must be weird to go from sort of very commercial sort of sector to yeah, an education heritage sector. I mean, I guess it must be the. I will say that, an, that a tiny silver lining of it must be that their presence is pretty much always guaranteed to have a level of uh, enjoyment. When, you know, when you go to a festival and put it on, everyone's going to come up to you and say thank you. You're probably going to get a nice warm kind of response from audiences in general, as opposed to a sort of fairly nondescript, who cares who's, you know, putting the film on in a mainstream kind of sense. Yes. The fact that they're so scarce and people know that they're that they're scarce, the jobs are scarce, they're going to be more appreciated. Mm. It's so strange. It's happened so fast as well, in like 15 years? Less? Is that it? Yeah. We, um, at the cinema I work at, we have a projectionist who, uh, you know, obviously sort of keeps an eye on everything, as it were, but occasionally when we have issues with the film and then audience members come out to uh, complain about that, they always ask, why didn't the projectionist notice it? And I kind of have to explain to them, like, there isn't someone who just sits in the box and watches the movie every time now. That's something that just doesn't happen anymore. Mm. We have machines who mostly handle it, and playlists, etc. Yeah. But I do want to, you know, give weight to the other side. If you can be your own projectionist with your own laptop screen and you discover a movie you love, that's still a special experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
in the case of the Overnight Film Festival, Exhibit C, the programme. What worked, what didn't work, and the kind of meta structure behind that, like, you know, what what was right to put on and why, etc. Should we start at the top or the bottom? Do you want to talk about your... your talk about, about positives. Yeah, what was your festival highlight? Orlando. Oh. 35mm, you know, cool. But I think even DCP would have enjoyed it a lot. It's a very uh, me film. I uh, I found all sorts of stuff to enjoy in there. Would you like me to go into that now, or would you rather say your bit and then we kind of back and forth there? Yeah, let's go. Let's talk about Orlando. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, the first twenty minutes or so is definitely like five star material for me. I thoroughly enjoyed everything about the film. There's a kind of strange detached quality to the narrative it's trying to tell, but in a non particularly clawing way. Except, wasn't so much of a fan of the fourth wall breaks. I think that's a pretty trite way of trying to inject a a bit of com- comic relief to a film and b i think that a film as good as the rest of orlando could probably come up with a more elegant way of explaining uh the characters kind of thoughts and processes mm-hmm. but at the end of the day i just didn't find them that funny now let's get into the positives it's shot beautifully an amazing rich kind of baroque production design quality to it both in the well actual production design itself but also in the way that it's framed and shot i very much enjoyed the dialogues and the way in which the conversations were structured both in front of the camera but also just the dialogues like the words themselves i thought were very poetic and elegant uh definitely harkens back to a a, a a style of cinema that i find more interesting because it's very declamatory and you know very kind of melodramatically performed so that was great stuff for me there's kind of tinges of other stuff i enjoyed kind of high fantastical elements to it there was a part uh again very it's early on like a high fantasy moment i thought it was more like magical realism than high fantasy when i say high fantasy i'm of course not referring to the idea of the film being like lord of the rings and stuff where well, i guess high fantasy was not the correct term for it but i'm talking about a kind of quality of 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 high melodrama in a kind of fantastical looking setting the way in which you know conversations would be held between uh, the queen figure and lord orlando was uh, very fantastical in a kind of poetic sense okay uh, i guess high fantasy is a genre unto itself so I shouldn't have said that <laughs> i guess so do you mean like the the decadence of the production design yeah and uh just the the way the camera would frame a face during one half of a conversation and then it would cut to the other, like, reaction. There's mm-hmm. something that's so, like... <sighs> fucking, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> high fantasy is the only term I can think for it, but maybe it's not correct. <laughs> okay. Um, so Orlando is based on the Virginia Woolf novel about Lord Orlando, who um, sort of, by magic, turns into a woman at, when, when he's age 30. And I don't think the nature of the hows and whys of the transformation really needs to be ascribed to no, anything. Not, not even magic. I think no. doing that does a, disser- uh, does a disservice to the just what's going on in the film. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a an unexplainable thing that happens. It just happens. It just happens <laughs> to Orlando. Um, they live centuries and centuries kind of this person trying to discover poetry and their identity across time of England changing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is quite funny. It is quite... Yeah, it's interesting. Also, yeah, exploring, using that as a way to explore the gender roles 
and the gender expectations in society across time as it changes or yes. doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was mm. great stuff. I agree. So when your novels are a different medium to film and novels obviously have a lot of interiority um, where you can really get to know the character's deepest, darkest feelings, but you can't always get that in film unless you do a voiceover. It's just not the same medium where you can feel what a character's feeling through the visual or audible medium. You know, you can't do it in the same way as a novel. And you mentioned how the film tried to sort of convey that interiority with the fourth wall breaking aside that Orlando makes to the camera. Mm. Um, I think it underlined the, uh, the, 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 I guess the the depth of the film. I just I didn't need Orlando quipping every now and then, especially when such ideas can be um, can be expressed in a visual means. Uh, you can interject any level of imagery, whether it be one of a human form or even just coming up with some kind of like metaphorical montage or something. I mean, I'm not going to ghost direct this movie from this <laughs> chair now, but. I'm just trying to explain the idea that there are ways in which you can impart these feelings. And do you want to know something else? This is a film that's so uninterested in trying to cater to a kind of boring mainstream idea of how narrative should work that this film actually had carte blanche to do whatever it fancied visually in order to explain those ideas, I thought. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel like the the nature of the fourth war was just sort of quite unnecessary. It did. It it was kind of funny at points. I can't I deny that. It added to the tone in a good way. Really? But I agree. Like, yeah, it made it sort of fun in a good way. But, I, yeah, I agree. It didn't... I don't know. It mm. didn't totally work. Um, it was a great discovery, though. Yeah? Yeah. So, Orlando was chosen by guest curator Jan Kaleha, who also chose to screen Alice in the Cities for the festival and that was probably my favourite film that I saw overnight Um, and they were quite interesting I think to explore together Alice in the Cities is um, a German film directed by Wim Wenders it tells the story of a of a journalist who's struggling to write but he's taking lots of photos and he ends up accompanying Alice from New York to Germany to try and get her home and it kind of becomes this sort of road movie um as a trying trying to find her grandma's house and yeah it really worked a spell on me the atmosphere of it it was it was really good what did you think of it yeah i enjoyed it um as i was uh, as i did say at the time i did in i did enjoy it but i have seen a lot of other films that i feel have tackled very similar themes and actually extremely similar stories as well that i'm not necessarily saying did better but I suppose I was slightly just uh, I was neither underwhelmed nor overwhelmed I thought it was fine enough but I was not particularly enamoured by it and I have definitely enjoyed other Vin Vendors films far more uh, I only just realised now the kind of comparison that could be drawn between the guy you know ostensibly being a writer but what he really wants to do is take pictures there's a little bit of a kind of like filmmaker throwing their own kind of notions of how films should be or not sorry not how films should be but how how stories can be told okay everyone loves a good bit of uh, filmmaker philosophy thrown in there even in a subdued way i don't know if the film was really endorsing that i don't know if it was endorsing it necessarily i feel like it just sort of paid lip service to it at the beginning interesting i think it was kind of 
maybe criticizing this guy. I can't remember what that character's name is. Okay, German journalist. <clears throat> so when with the way that Philip was struggling to write but taking so many photos, I felt like. I don't know. I felt like it wasn't a good thing. And oh, was like there's was... like a detachment that he needed to get over. So by the end of it, he'd found that piece. I don't know. I, he was just. I feel like it was just a sign of him struggling. Oh, interesting. And I don't know if it was really endorsing that. He was kind of pretentious. I felt like for him to be so obsessed with just getting capturing everything. I think, yeah, the curator did a great job. I think those movies do really fit together in interesting ways like Orlando's kind of this journey across across time to explore an identity and Mendes is, is exploring the space um, and I think they do really complement each other well time and space <laughs> yeah they go together pretty well usually um, so you mentioned that it reminded you of other films like what uh, I think probably the most obvious one would be Paper Moon mm-hmm there's definitely a similarity in terms of the way in which a sort of older man takes a rambunctious young girl as his charge, as it were, in a sort of co-dependent relationship that spans several, I guess in the case of uh, Paper Moons, it's states, but in uh, Alice in the Cities, it's countries yeah. in Europe. Yeah. So I was thinking of Paper Moon a lot too, uh, which is a movie I really like. I really love it. I think it's great. Um, but com- thinking about them in my head, I think only maybe I was focusing on the differences. Like Alice in the Cities, well, there's like an overarching plot finding the grandma's house. That's true. I feel like the way things unfolded was really different. Like there was very minimal sort of plot in Paper Moon that they're like having a lot more hijinks. <laughs> a lot more shenanigans that they try and pull off these cons and try and get to from one place to the other like it's really important how mm. they get somewhere whereas in this one they're always no it's just some some all this kind of day-to-day mundane stuff about like eating ice cream or having a drink getting a haircut well i feel like that's, that, that's the difference between a sort of european art house movie and then peter bogdanovich trying to make a kind of much more of an enjoyable uh, hollywood picture uh in, in some way just in a purely like Generic isn't the right word, but to compare the two movements, you could probably see them as the same thing. In a in a sort of German movie such as this from that time, something as simple as getting ice cream together says as many words as going on a <laughs> wacky, crazy antic with Ryan O'Neill. I think, yeah, that's, that's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. It, it, so they both got me to this place where I think I was almost crying by the end of the film, but they did it in different ways. And Absolutely. I, yeah. And I appreciated that in Alice in the City. It's like this kind of, yeah, this like restrained performances and the sort of tragedy and beauty in the mundane. It was really, oh, God, it was touching. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just equally, this black and white photography of different landscapes looks, looks great. Yes, I was into that. Uh, good black and white beach side right at the beginning that's always a big visual for me <laughs> what was what was your biggest disappointment in the program uh it has to be all these sleepless nights oh. a film that had much um i first of all thought i'd probably quite enjoy quite a lot on the basis of what they were discussing they were definitely describing it as this um docufiction style film 
One of my favorite films is Timeless Bottomless Bad Movie, which is South Korean, sort of I've seen described as a transgressive docufiction about the lives of young delinquents living in South Korea. I wasn't expecting so much of a crossover there, but uh, instead what I got was uh, garbage. <laughs> oh, harsh words. I wasn't so into Only Sleepless Nights. Just to give a kind of recap of it, it ostensibly is about a couple of young uh, uh, Polish lads. It's uh, set in... What city is it set in? Is it set in Warsaw? It is, yeah. Cool. Set in Warsaw. Yeah. Uh, they uh, We kind of spend a lot of our time just watching them go around and partying. There's a lot of kind of transient relationships that uh, flow throughout... Uh, it definitely is going for this kind of ebb and flow of self-destructive ennui in kids <laughs> of that sort of new generation. I'm not going to 100% pretend that I know uh, all of the backstory going on there, but they did describe how the city and country itself is obviously stuck somewhere between its traumatic past and a hopeful future. And I feel like this film is trying to interrogate those ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the kind of mode of uh, you know watching sort of underground youth culture, makeshift clubs, discos, drug taking, uh, casual sex, all of that is explored in a way that I found completely shallow <laughs> <laughs> and uh, completely uninteresting and an uninspired as well. So I had mixed feelings with the film and I, f- I feel like every scene takes place sort of in the early hours of the morning after a night out. Um, I feel like every scene took place between sort of 3 and 8 a.m. The sun's rising, everyone is kind of hungover, not hungover, everyone's still either really drunk or beginning to get hungover. Or they're on a come down as well. Or they're on a come down, or they're just fucking roaming the empty streets of Warsaw, and, you know, they haven't had any sleep, as the film says. Um, And... I quite liked that as an idea. I think it did work. It did have this kind of restless, exhausted quality to it. Um, And that... I don't know. I'm kind of hesitant because I don't know if, if... Is that idea like a gimmick? And can you hang a whole film on a gimmick? Yeah, I think you can, definitely. Films have explored limited time periods before usually mm-hmm. you sort of just get like a one night set film but I feel I think one can definitely enjoy a film that is set during the twilight hours of a night out Yeah, I um, think there was kind of a magic to it you know there are people having these sort of dazed and confused conversations where they kind of reach almost maybe an insightful realisation but also maybe say something really pretentious um, getting, like, I think the film certainly thought it was insightful stuff. I, I did quite like There was something kind of hypnotic about it, um, and that kind of worked for me. But then about halfway through, I got really tired of that gimmick, and I was really ready for it to end. And I felt like the characters, like I just wanted it to stop and go to sleep. <laughs> it kind of, the exhaustion that they're feeling. Well, they were kind of euphoric as well at times, but it was just, it kind of, it, it did get me kind of down. I don't know if that's a good thing. I mean, it wasn't enjoyable at the time to be feeling that way for the last half of the film, but... I mean, if the film manages to impart a, an actual physical sensation of what the characters are doing, then that can only really possibly be seen as a positive exactly. net gain for it. Yeah. Um, which is kind of why I'm like, maybe I, I do like that film more than I, than I did when I finished it. Um, yeah, I think it did capture something. Um, but yeah, it was a strange one. I think I couldn't... It was very... It w- so it won the 
Directing Award for World Cinema Documentary at Sundance 2016. And but it did have play it kind of fast and loose with the fiction documentary. This is a huge bone to pick I have with it, is that that film is in no way a documentary as I tend to understand them. Uh, it's shot in a way that is documentary-esque. A lot of people have described it as being quite similar to a lot of Terence Malick's kind of contemporary output <laughs> in films such as um, Night of Cups, Song to Song, uh, etc., the um uh but at the same time i just couldn't really quite understand how in any way the film can really be interpreted to be a documentary uh it did i get i suppose that the characters who were in the film were playing themselves in so far that they had they shared the same name but and the same lifestyle maybe yeah that's fair enough but I just can't in any way understand how that could be described as pure documentary, especially not enough to win some kind of Sundance award for the fact. Uh, I'm not expecting a documentary to uh, look like how one would usually expect them to look, but at the same time, it just felt like a straight-up fictional film. There is plenty of scenes in which the camera crew has gone to some sort of uh, possibly illegal rave. No one seems to talk to the camera, no one seems to even acknowledge it whatsoever. And I feel like the actual things that happen to the characters are too deliberately placed in a narrative fashion in order for them to be anything but completely fabricated. Uh, case in point, I'm not going to go into it, obviously, if you haven't seen it, but the, when he sort of strikes out with a girl at a party after having a small kind of, like, meet cute with her, it's impossible to believe that that just sort of unfolded in a natural way and what no one talked about or to the camera at any point. I mean, they could have cut that stuff out. I did, it did feel quite scripted. Um, it felt extremely scripted which I was actually fine with until I, I literally read just before we started recording that it won this world cinema documentary thing yes I don't know yeah I don't know what I re- if that would make me respect it more or less was it was it a fiction film that captured something special or was it a documentary film that captured something and then pulled it together yeah hard I, to I say it's hard to say <laughs> I think part of the documentary aspect is the collaboration I think they collaborated with the the two main actors slash subjects. <laughs> Here we go, yeah. I think they collaborated with them on the f- the form of the film. I, I, I need to do more research really into the kind of script and mm. how it was made. But it yeah, I don't know. I quite like a documentary that pushes the definitions of documentary, but it can be kind of challenging. Yeah. Um, similarly, so there was another documentary that kind of pushed the definition of documentary, um, and it was called The Lifeguard, a Chilean film following a couple of lifeguards on the beach and it kind of you know there's a lot of challenges to his authority and it is quite an intimate documentary as well we see how everyone kind of responds to him and treats him and maybe does respects or doesn't respect him Hmm. um i really liked it how did you feel about that film i also liked it uh i that see that did press um what i would describe as the borders of documentary in a fascinating new light because there was an element of uh, curious curiosity about whether it was indeed fiction or not, but unlike unlike Sleepless Nights, I didn't in any way feel that that it was purely fictional either. Um, instead, it's more of a it's the the lifeguards kind of tapped into I think a a a much debated part of documentary, which is how far can are you allowed to stretch the truth by way of editing. Uh, I guess what I'm referring to is it's quite hard to believe that everything really worked out so quickly within the span of what is presented to us as only a couple days. I don't really believe that. Mm -hmm. And, 
Yeah, I suppose the idea is that when you're watching uh, the lifeguards, you are um, understanding that it's a documentary that could be slightly um, messed with. When you're watching all these sleepless nights, to me, it didn't seem like a documentary at all. It's completely fabricated. Mm. The lifeguards itself enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it's I nice. was a, I was a big fan of the lifeguard. I think it did manage to capture these sort of everyday moments in his life with an intimacy that kind of revealed the power structures of the beach, the dynamics of the beach. <laughs> I was thinking so much about the dynamics of the beach and authority and power. Mm-hmm. And like, how do you, how do you run this place safely? And how does even the presence of a lifeguard kind of threaten you? And I, I thought it was really interesting and really fun as well. I'm yeah. making it sound like a quite a dry thesis on authority on the beach, but yeah. it was really fun and entertaining yeah. as well. It's got a lot of good side characters in it. Uh, I think it really helps that they followed this particular guy because, and it's funny that you sort of brought up this notion of authority of the beach because I feel like the best way to approach this was that they followed what can only be described as like the judge dread of lifeguards. This, <laughs> this guy is completely oh unfeeling. <laughs> he has like these pair of mirrored aviators that he wears <laughs> at all times. He is like the definition of like the kind of faceless arm of the law that you kind of you kind of associate more with like cops and stuff uh but so he's this guy who we follow around he's completely no nonsense he cares a lot about the rules uh to the point where you know he is annoyed by his co-workers and the seemingly kind of it's the the fact that it seems like his quadrant of the beach is the most well-oiled section of it and everything else is sort of slightly screwed around with not everybody else really follows the rules to a t and uh that rubs him up the wrong way but interestingly enough a lot of his co-workers don't appear to really like him either. Or, and especially, obviously, the guests at the beach as well don't really like yeah. him. We get some good insight from the other guests on the beach. It's it's really interesting. Mm. I don't I just want to go back. <laughs> just go back yeah. to that beach. That's definitely a good one. I mean, the beach itself looks terrible, but I'm so glad that he is the guy kind of patrolling it in that <laughs> the just taciturn way. Mm. What was a good discovery? you at the festival uh so aside from the stuff that we've already discussed which are all uh positive discoveries for me i really enjoyed jane campion's short uh a girl's own story mm-hmm. projected on 16 millimeter in an interesting aspect uh, ratio uh was that was it academy or was it smaller than that i think it was academy ratio but mm. it was um because it was 16 millimeter it was a bit smaller right of course yeah uh, yes, I really enjoyed that a lot. I haven't engaged much with Jane Campion's work aside from maybe one or two features. Um, mm-hmm. What was this one about? So, A Girl's Own Story is... Uh, in a, uh, the problem is I couldn't tell you what I thought Jane Campion thought it was about. I'm not sure what it was about either. So, this film was set, I think, at a... It was made in the 80s, set in the 60s at a girls school I think it was a catholic school either way it was pretty strict yeah um, was a lot of interiorities of home life as well though yes um so it's following these school girls some of them are obsessed with the Beatles um there's kind of like uh early sexual experiences some flirtations yeah some rule breaking um I suppose what can be derived from the title is that it is just a, a girl's own story about the kind of 
latent sexual awakening that happened during that time in a way that I think is meant to be taking the power back from a male-dominated idea of history and how things went. So, you know, and I'm assuming Jane Campion's drawing from some kind of, obviously, like, personal experience. And she's, I guess, in a way, just explaining this is how things really were. And she went into it in a way that I found uh, very interesting uh, in terms of the ideas and images put forward in the film. It really doesn't hold back in far as far as a bizarre sexual imagery goes. And I found it very interesting, this whole nature of kind of young people, ritualistic kind of uh, sexual experiences taking place uh, in, a, in a way that I feel is not unpalatable, but definitely surprising in the way that it's kind of presented of a raw honesty, but also in a sort of slightly surrealist way. Yes. Agree with you. <laughs> Good job, Jane. More like Jane Champion. I wonder if she's heard that one before. Uh, so, Alicia, what about uh, apart from what we've sort of discussed already? Uh, any sort of good discoveries that you may have made during the time? Yes, there were a pair of shorts. Um, size eight, green. <laughs> Brilliant. I was. Yeah, I wanted to make a joke. Didn't know how to. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed wearing those shorts, and I also enjoyed watching these two short films that were screened together. One was called The Was, it was directed by Soda Jerk, which is an art collective, Mm -hmm. um, who make, uh, short sort of collage films. Uh, The Was was, it was, yeah, it was kind of like a collage of lots of different films, really beautifully edited, where you start off on the train and there's all these different film characters and different films all brought together in these films. In this one, yeah, um, you go on the train and there's like clips from Seinfeld and uh, Clerks and the Warriors and the Warriors are looking at um, John Travolta while he's sitting on the train and it kind of like yeah. you know creates this whole movie world that's really fascinating. Yeah, no, yeah. So it's an interesting exploration of a kind of pop culture laden movie ro- world that I imagine a lot of young men probably would love to exist in. The um, I don't know if it's such a, just a young man thing. That's kind of like right. how I, I see America, how I see movies, how you know. I, it's kind of my memory. You're right. And I it guess was I'm. Beautiful. Mm. But yeah, and we had all kinds of films from all over the world. I think it starts with Mystery Train and it ends on Blue is the Warmest Color. And you've got it. There was so many in there, and it made me so excited to want to watch more films. And it was really well made. This is paired with another film called Dusty Stacks of Mum, the Poster Project, which was uh, sort of stop motion film set at a poster and memorabilia store run by the filmmaker's mother um and you're sort of just exploring all this movie ephemera and like movie posters and yeah it was just like a real collage of the things they had there and the things they meant all set to this reworked soundtrack of um of dark side of the moon dark side of the moon by pink floyd yeah um so it's kind of like a reworking of that soundtrack and this movie set to that and I found them really exciting, mm-hmm. just like this kind of this collage feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know I grew up cutting up collages, <laughs> and so it was nice to see a movie collage kind of unfolding, a collage unfolding over time. Yeah. There I, was, 
a lot to like in, especially in the was actually, I did prefer that one a lot more. Mostly because usually when people put together very good sort of video uh, montages such as that, they usually kind of are very good at matching cuts. So a character would turn their head and then in the next clip, it would be like another character is kind of meeting, seemingly meeting their gaze. What the was does uh, above and beyond what I've usually seen is that it actually manages to physically in put characters into other settings. So uh, as you kind of explained earlier on, there can be a sequence in which uh, you we're following the footage of some characters walking down a road, but then in the background you'll see ta uh, Travis Bickle in his taxi, uh, you'll see Jane Silent Bob on the side of the road, it's not even... you got Beavis and Butthead just walking along. I was about to say, it's not along. even limited to live action, there's animated characters, I also saw Fritz yeah. the Cat in there as well. So that was quite exciting, and it did make for a, quite a very fun short. Um, and you know, you do get a sense of, uh, you know, it, there is no, you can't really get a narrative out of that because it can be very hard to direct it. But instead, you can do a sort of guided tour throughout a city, so it sort of becomes this city symphony, but just for movie clips and yes. stuff instead. It is a city symphony, yes. Ah. Mm. Oh. But focusing a lot on the people, but then I guess the difference being that the people are very fascinating subjects. Yeah. <laughs> And they're definitely they're transgressing their film form. Yeah. So those were an early morning, the first films shown on the Sunday morning after the Saturday night uh, karaoke session. So it was quite a nice way to start the day. Mm -hmm. You weren't concentrating too hard. You're just letting these sort of movie moods wash over you. Yes. It was quite cool. I think it was very good that they started Sunday morning with uh, Dark Side of the Moon. It was very relaxing <laughs> to kind of sit there. Uh, you know, while it's not quite the album itself, because the lyrics and instrumentals are completely reworked by the filmmaker as well, it is a much more sort of softer and soothing take on that album, uh, mm. which it can be at points. <laughs> we haven't really discussed any of the outer, the stuff that happened that weren't just film-based. There was a few kind of, uh, I don't really know what the word I'd use is, there was some, you know, kind of... Uh, installations there was some aspects that some of which I didn't even really try there were some listening rooms in which you could sort of sit in a nice warm comfy area and just uh, kind of listen to uh, soundtracks from films of which the uh, members or sorry not members the people who came to the festival were encouraged to bring their own vinyl copies of which you could listen to mm -hmm. there was a very similar kind of setup of DVDs instead so there was a kind of communal space in which you can just sit down on some big ass cushions and just to watch movies on and stuff in case you didn't fancy mm -hmm. sitting in one of the main screenings. Yeah, it was quite a lot of um, immersive film experience is what they were going for and I think they achieved that and kind mm -hmm. of just decorating the, the the festival with all these extra film, yeah. film activities. Yeah, whilst, you know, I don't think anybody is going to be going too hard at a music, uh, sorry, at a film festival such as this, it did feel like there is like come down rooms and stuff. <laughs> Like, there is spaces, there's, like, nice, quiet spaces to go if you're, like, having, like, a bad trip or something, <laughs> which, yeah, was quite funny because I don't expect anyone would ever really need to have one of those at a film festival such as this one, but uh, it did have, yeah, a quite a film, uh, music festival quality in that regard. Mm. In the spirit of The Was and Dusty Sacks of Mum, which are kind of drawing from pop culture... Um, River of Grass, the opening night film directed by Kelly Reichardt, I think really engaged with with movies in an interesting way, and I found it quite refreshing. So River of Grass is is self described by Kelly Reichardt as a as a road movie without a road, a love story without the love, and a crime story without the crime, and is kind of drawing from these familiar movie genres and then playing with them, but 
kind of demystifies the whole lovers on the run archetype. Yes, which is something I'm I'm a big fan of that that subgenre. Um, but I felt like this was quite genre savvy in a refreshing way. I kind yeah. of forgot you could be genre savvy in a way that wasn't fourth wall breaking quips and self aware gags. Yeah. Like this was this is playing with those ideas in a in a very sort of lackadaisical lost American dream Americana thing. It's taking <laughs> like the river of grass is in Florida and it's just this kind of malaise. The glades. The glades, yeah. Yeah. No, it was yeah. This is the the term actual deconstruction as opposed to the Joss Whedon variety. This was like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to toot the film's horn too much, but this is much more of the kind of James Benning variety. So that was nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was actually my first Kelly Reichardt film as well. And when we came out of that film, a lot of people were saying it was not what they're expecting from her, that this was very different to her much more famous works and her later films with uh, Michelle Williams. So I am quite excited to explore filmography and maybe see what I think of it, having started with River of Grass, because apparently she went in another direction. Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of her other films. I'm curious. Hmm. So any, any, any closing thoughts? Um, any last bits of evidence? This last minute winning I can't really think of anything else, really. Um, you know, some of the, all the features are, were pretty interesting to me. Uh, I feel like we haven't really mentioned... Um, well, we didn't really talk much about the Coriator film, really. No, with Coriator, people always say, oh, it's so nice, I know I'm going to spend a lovely time with a lovely family, and it's going to be like a nice warm bath, and I'm going to look at some Japanese food. But I feel like a key part of the Coriator stuff is the heartbreaking... In my experience, he always finds a way to disrupt the good family vibe. Yeah. I feel like throughout every happy family scene, there's an undercurrent of agony judgment and regret yeah and heartbreak misery and, and insecurity and yeah. expectation yeah uh, which is done so well like yeah my only issue with still walking is that i feel like it didn't quite innovate in terms of it felt like quite a lot of other sort of similar japanese cinema that i've seen and that's quite slow burn meditation on the nature of age and family which was nice, but it didn't really do anything for me formally in that regard. Okay. But I did like it. Core. Either. <laughs> Alright, we're cutting that one. <laughs> So that was an overview of the Overnight Film Festival. It is the final edition. I am a little disappointed I'm not going to get on some kind of similar retreat. Um, but I'm probably going to follow the festival organisers on, on social media, see what else they get up to. Yeah, same here. I want to see, see what else can happen. Um, I think we reached uh, an appropriate settlement. Some, some things were negotiated. Yeah, there was a bit of back and forth. Yeah. Furious back and forth. Across the the office table, across the table. Yep. <laughs> Families have been torn apart. Some relationships will never be mended again, actually. That's the brutal nature of... Uh, of um, Litigation. Yep. Small claims court. Yep. <laughs> it's a, it's a nightmare. We're not in the court, though. Yeah. 
It could have gone to small claims. That's how big this was. <laughs> Put an oxymoron there. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so that about wraps it up for this episode. Um, join us next week where Ben will be in Berlin for the Berlinale Film Festival. So thank you, Kit. Where can listeners find you? Uh, on Twitter, at Kit Ramsey is dead. Yeah. Where you'll find a lot of live tweets. No, you won't actually. You'll find something. Yeah. Find... <laughs> you'll find... Why don't you follow and find out what you find? Follow and find out. I like that initiative mm-hmm. instruction. Yep. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Alicia, with two L's. But you should really follow the Judge Movie account. It's Judge Movie Pod on Twitter and Instagram. There's some things being posted. There'll be some festival highlights you can see. I recommend those. I know, I'll get round to it eventually. (laughs) Um, So I will see you there. Alright, bye. Bye. What's some good, like, kind of uh, bloopers we can do for the credits? We've got enough. How do we usually do them in the Pixar movies? Some farting. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, who did that? (laughs) That was my uh, Tom Hanks. This could be <laughs> this could be the bit hour. This is the this yeah. is the part where you have to hear bad bits that didn't make it onto the show. Bad bits. Bad bits with kids. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Judge Movie Extreme. <laughs> the inmates have taken over. <laughs> That's a great idea. I'm Crime Lord Kit. <laughs> this is coming out of a. This is a uh, yeah. This is this is a message from prison. We call the place locked down. The guards are tied up. I got cinematonium <laughs> as always. Hell yeah. So, welcome to Judge Movie Extreme. Overnight festival edition. Just like how I've been spending uh, a lot of time in this prison overnight, we spent a lot of time in Eastbourne overnight as well. Uh, for the Overnight Film Festival's third year, we had great time. And we have a lot to talk about. And then in the background, someone's like... Screaming. Say the message! <laughs> Okay. Are we really going with this bit? No, we're not. Oh man, that was such a. Could that be an alternative intro? I could put it at the end. A bonus, bonus one. I put it at the end.